If you would open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, and, and let me just say, if you're new today and um, uh, this is the first time you've been in church for a while, we are so glad that you are here today and prayed that you would see this as a step, you know, just kind of like the prodigal son. When, they, when he took that step, he found a father's loving embrace, and that changed everything for him. So I pray that that's your experience today, but we are so glad uh, that you are here with us today. I want to read today from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verses 12 and following. Obviously, we're going to focus on the resurrection today. And we're going to focus on that story and its life-giving power and how it could change your life today. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 and following. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead came also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until, all, until he has put his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Let's pray. Gracious Father, I pray today that we just take this opportunity. We've been given this opportunity to hover around your word today. A word that's been around for thousands and thousands of years in different languages all around the world. And we have seen its power, so powerful that some countries won't even allow this book to enter into its borders. Father, I pray we'd ask today, what is so powerful about this message? That for thousands of years, people and even whole countries have been radically transformed by its message. I pray today that we take it seriously, that we'd begin to think for ourselves what this message is. And then if, if we are receiving that message and living it out in our own lives. Father, help us today to believe, to trust in Jesus, to be followers of Jesus, to give him all that we are and all that we have. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Question for you today is, what do you believe? What do you believe? I think I know one thing that every person in this room, believe it or not, I think I know one thing that every person in this room believes. Every single one of you sitting here before me today believes that the pew that you're sitting on is going to hold you up and all those on the pew with you. You may not have really thought about it, but when you walked in today, you made a decision, and you sat down. 
And you had every bit of confidence that it would hold you up. There's so many beliefs, so many decisions we make that function on that subconscious level. We don't even really think about it. But we make decisions and our behaviors are often determined by what we believe, whether we recognize it as belief or not. A story is told by Trevor Moed, the late Trevor Moed, of a high school student who was struggling uh, to make it through high school. He was uh, just on the verge of dropping out. His grades were terrible. He, he was failing his classes. Uh, really not a whole lot of promise. But his mom convinced him to go and to take the SAT. So he agreed to do that. And he went and he took the SAT. And uh, a few weeks later, he gets this letter back in the mail. And uh, it says that he scored a 1480 out of 1600. Now, those of you who know a little bit about this, that's really good. Okay, that, that's brilliant. Okay. And his mom had a question for him. She said, did you cheat? And uh, he said, no, I tried, but, um, but everybody was so far apart, I couldn't see their paper. I couldn't, I couldn't cheat, okay? He actually tried to cheat, but he said, I couldn't. So he goes on. He said, well, I guess I'm smart. I guess I'm smart after all. So he started attending classes, started turning his assignments in. He started hanging out with new friends. Long story short, he, he graduated top of his class. He went on to a four-year college, went on to an Ivy League school, became CEO of a magazine company and an entrepreneur. Twelve years later, he gets a letter in the mail from the SAT board of trustees. And this letter said there were 13 students who were mailed incorrect information. And as it turns out, you didn't score 1480. You scored a 740 on your SAT. He's quoted as saying this. People want to say it's the 1480 that changed my life. He said, no, acting like a 1480 changed my life. And what does a 1480 do? They go to class. A lot of us, we don't think about it. But there's a lot of things that we do on a regular basis that is determined by our deeply held beliefs but what we think is true. Your beliefs have a profound impact on how you live your life, whether you think about it or not. Some 2,000 years ago, a group of people began to promote a new belief. They made the claim that Jesus of Nazareth had died on the cross by crucifixion at the hands of Roman soldiers, and that even though he died on the cross and even though he was buried... Then on the third day, he rose up from the dead. And not only did it change their lives, it changed the course of world history. The world today is not the same as it once was because of the belief that Jesus rose from the dead. The question you have before you today, though, is, that, is this. Do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? You see, it's not going to change your life if you don't believe it. If you don't believe that it's true. Today I want to invite us to take another look at the gospel. Notice how this chapter begins in chapter 15, verse 1. It says, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. In other words, they'd already heard the gospel. But you see, this church who had heard the gospel and perhaps at one point had been on fire for Christ, at some point they drifted away from that core message. And how do we know that? We know that because of the way that they'd started acting. If we were to go back a little bit further in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we see that when they gathered for the Lord's Supper, some would eat and indulge themselves and they would feast at the table. They would even get drunk with wine while others would go home hungry and thirsty. 
The dynamic in the church was unhealthy and it looked like they really weren't understanding the gospel. It really hadn't taken root in their hearts and their lives. They had left their first love. Behaviors crept in that were not consistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And perhaps today you need to be reminded of the gospel. Perhaps today we all need to be reminded of the gospel because as you sit where you are today, perhaps it's just possible this morning that slowly over time, maybe at one point you walked the aisle and you said a prayer and then you went out feeling pretty good about your chances of making heaven. But perhaps over the course of years and years and decades, you've drifted away from that core message and lost the beauty and the glory of Christ. Today, perhaps we need to be reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to give you four reasons why we need to take another look at the gospel today. Reason number one, the gospel is the crux of everything. The gospel is the crux of absolutely everything. Paul put it this way. He said in verse uh, three, he said, for what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance. First importance meaning first and foremost, because this message he's talking about is first in a sequence, and yet also the greatest message of value that he could give to them first in the sequence because when Christ rose from the dead he died on a Friday on day six God created mankind in his own image he rest he was buried and he rested on Saturday on the seventh day of the week we rest but then he rose up again on the first day of the week a message to all the world that new creation was launched in the Lord Jesus Christ which is why it says in 1 Corinthians 15 he is the firstborn among his brothers and sisters the firstborn the first of many to come the first fruits of what is yet to come it is the first in the sequence and it is foremost in that this is the greatest message ever told Nothing is more foundational and of greater value than the royal announcement that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. And according to the scriptures, he has been enthroned as the true king of the world. A lot of times uh, you'll be going through social media on the internet and you'll see what we call a clickbait title. And the whole point is it's bait for you to click on it. Why would people click on it? Five ways to lose 20 pounds in two weeks, okay? Uh, the, the secret to becoming a millionaire. Here's how to live your best life now and all this sort of stuff. All of these ideas of, hey, here's what it looks like to be successful, to be wealthy and to be wise and to have what you want. And it's called bait because guess what? People click on it. People are hungry for that kind of thing. But Paul says this is of first importance. We look no further than the sufficiency of the gospel. That Jesus is all that we need for salvation and abundant life. Why is this true? Why is the gospel first and foremost? Well, look what he says a little bit later in verse 12. If it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? Notice he, he is responding to an argument from this church that this church was dealing with. Some people said that there's no resurrection of the dead. And he said, hey, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised from the dead. And notice the string of events. He gives six uh, outcomes if Christ has not been raised from the dead. Number one, our faith is futile. Number two, our preaching is pointless. Number three, we are deceiving the world and bearing false witness about God. Number four, we are still in our sins. Number five, there is no hope of the dead, no afterlife. And number six, we of all people should be pitied. Why? Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we have no reason to believe any of those things. All of it's just wishful thinking. 
We all have this belief in the afterlife. Probably the vast majority of people in this room, if I were to talk to you about uh, what you think happens after death, you'd say, well, there's an afterlife. Okay, where did you get that belief? What, what, what basis, what grounds do you have to believe that there's an afterlife, that you continue to exist after your body dies? What grounds do you have to believe that? Probably a lot of you started believing that in an early age, didn't you? You started believing that in an early age, and why? Because if you're like me, my parents passed it down, pastors and, and teachers, they passed down that truth. So thankful that they did. But it wasn't because at six years old I was studying the Greek New Testament and, and really getting to the bottom of what's going on in the resurrection of Christ. No, it was handed down to me. And so for much of my life I took it for granted. Why do we believe in the afterlife? I found it interesting. I studied why, what some other religions believe about what happens after you die. Of course, Hinduism believes in reincarnation. But I found this article, Why do Buddhists believe in the afterlife? Listen to what it says. Why do Buddhists believe in the afterlife? Buddhists believe in life after death because Buddha taught that human beings are each born an infinite number of times unless they achieve nirvana. Buddha taught. Why don't we just take his word for it? Why do we believe in the afterlife? We believe in the afterlife not just because Jesus taught about it, but because he rose from the dead. He rose up from the dead. He went to Lazarus' tomb and he raised him from the dead. He raised the daughter from the dead. And when he was killed and crucified on the cross three days later, he got up from the grave and he spent 40 days proving it to the 500 people that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15. When we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that is our proof of the afterlife. It's not wishful thinking. Jesus himself said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he says this, do you believe this? Talking to Martha. I think that is a timeless question for you today. Not to just take for granted that one day when you die, you're going to go to a good place. But to really ask yourself the question, do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? And are you following Jesus? That is the question before you today. Reason number two, we need to take a, another look at the gospel. The gospel is the story of stories. Not only is it the crux of absolutely everything, our hope of eternal life, our hope of our sins being forgiven, uh, our lives being meaningful and purposeful, but the gospel itself is the story of stories. Here's the question, what is the gospel? Notice what Paul says the gospel is. He summarizes it in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and following. He says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and then he gives this long list of people Jesus appeared to. He says, What I received I passed on to you. In other words, he had an encounter with the risen Christ, he had his own eyewitness experience, and so he passes on what's, uh, what the language indicates is a tradition, something that he learned because guess what? They didn't have this the same way that we do today, bound with all 66 books uh, right there in a version of our choice. Okay, he, he, They didn't have that back then. What they had were teachers who knew these stories of Jesus. They had eyewitness encounters, and they passed that down from one generation to the next. But I want you to notice that this tradition works like a story. It works like a story, a good news story, which frames how we see the world and our role in the world, what's actually going on in the world that we live in. 
My old ethics professor in college, uh, Dr. Jeff Holloway, makes this comment at the beginning of a book he wrote. He said, we live in the world in light of the world that we live in. We live in the world in light of the world we live in. In other words, we live our story in light of the story that we believe that we find ourselves in, that we each have a role to play in this world. There's a 1998 film called The Truman Show starring Jim Carrey. And uh, Jim Carrey is Truman Burbank, the star of the show, but he doesn't know he is the star of the show, okay? He doesn't know that he's even on a show. Uh, but he's been born on a set. He's been born on a stage. All of his friends and co-workers and family, all of them are in on this big secret that really his life is a staged production. And everything is carefully constructed to keep Truman in the dark, to keep him blind to reality, to keep him blind to the real story that's going on. I want you to know something. Our world, our world relentlessly peddles stories carefully designed to keep us in the dark and to keep us going a different course than the way of Christ. That's, how, that, that's what our world does. That's, by the way, that's what the devil does. That's how the devil functions. If you believe in a supernatural world at all, if you believe in the devil at all, you should know that he's got a job to do. And his job is to deceive you. And in creation, in Genesis chapter 3, we see the serpent in Eden, and he successfully got Adam and Eve to question the story that God had given them. Did God really say, the serpent wondered, and seduced them into believing there was a better story where they could be like God, knowing good and evil. And they ate of the fruit. They bought in to the story. Fast forward a, a, a thousand or so years and you find the devil now trying to tempt Christ. Good luck to you. He's trying to tempt Christ. And what does he do? He takes what God has said. He takes scripture. He twists it and he tries to present a different tale, a different story to Jesus. But Jesus counters with what? He counters with the true story. He counters with scripture as it was meant to be understood. This is what Jesus does. And he tears down the false narrative of the devil. But my question for you this morning is how many of you, if you're honest with yourself, and if you looked at your behavior, if you looked at your life, you would have to admit that you've bought into a false story, or at least some of them. You've bought into some of the false narratives that this world peddles every single day. Like Truman, you're accepting what the world presents to you as the way and the role that you're expected to play. And quite often, when that's presented to us, we are the star of the show. How many of us want to sit on the throne? How many of us want everything to revolve around us? But in truth, lasting peace is found in the realization that it's not about you. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. What we need, what all of us need, are what those guys on the road to Emmaus needed. They, they heard about all these events. They, they knew Jesus had been crucified. So in their minds, they thought, well, he's not the Messiah. He can't be the Christ. That rules him out. As a possibility. But then the, uh, they, they said, well, the women found his tomb empty. And so Jesus comes alongside them and says, what's going on? Said, Haven't you been reading the newspaper, basically? Haven't you seen that, uh, that Jesus died and now some of the women, they, they tell us that the tomb is empty? And Jesus begins to explain how this story unfolds. The Bible says their hearts burned within them. You know why their hearts burned within them? Because for the first time, even though they knew the Hebrew Scriptures, for the first time it began to make sense to them. It all began to come together because Jesus explained it to them. The gospel presents us with the real story. 
Look down at chapter 15, verse 20 and following. It says, but Christ has indeed been risen from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in its turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. This is the story. This is whatever the world wants to tell you, this is what's actually going on. Christ is reigning, he's king of kings, and he's lord of lords. You say, well, this world doesn't look like it. Jared, haven't you seen the news? Haven't you seen the death and the violence and the hatred in the world? And I want to say to you, haven't you seen the cross? Haven't you stood at the cross and you see the most wicked act in human history and the people gathered around the cross and the Roman centurion looking up and saying, truly, this is the Son of God. He understood who Jesus was. He, for the first time in his life, realized Caesar ain't in control. Jesus is King of Kings. And Lord of Lords, he is the bride and morning star. He's a Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And today he would invite you to follow him for you to confess him as Christ and Savior. They didn't get martyred and, and uh, killed for following Jesus because they said he's Lord of their hearts. It's because they said he's Lord of this world, not Caesar. And the good news is the good news of his resurrection. He's not a minor character in the story, folks. We're not here today because we want you to have fond feelings of Jesus. We don't want you just to agree with Jesus. We don't want you to just like the story. We don't want you to say, okay, I'll give him a part in the show that I'm producing. We want you to come to the conclusion that he really is the main and central preeminent role in the story and everything else finds its place when he is honored as Lord. And whether we recognize it or not today, one day every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The question will be, when that day comes, have you already trusted in him? Reason number three, we need to take a fresh look at the gospel, another look at the gospel. The gospel changes lives and gives purpose. The gospel changes lives and gives purpose. Look, look down uh, with me, if you would, for just a moment at chapter 15, verses 5 and following. Notice uh, how he continues to tell the story. It says, he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. On the one hand, Paul is giving us this list uh, to tell uh, his listeners, hey, if you have any doubt or any question whether Jesus rose from the dead, here's about 500 plus brothers and sisters you can go talk to. Most of them are still alive. They saw him, okay? They saw him. 
They witnessed it. It's not just a wishful thought. It's not just uh, Buddha sitting on a stool and teaching something. They saw Jesus crucified and they saw him risen from the dead. Go talk to these brothers and sisters. Find out for yourself. But he's also giving us this list to help us see the lives that were changed by the resurrected Christ. That these people had an encounter with Jesus and they were no longer the same. Peter, who was huddling in fear, hiding in fear after he saw Jesus crucified. I mean, can you imagine the traumatic experience of seeing Jesus nailed to the cross and beaten and flogged? He saw all of that in real time. He was scared to death. He denied even knowing Jesus. But after he encountered the risen Christ, tradition says that when they got ready to kill Peter because of his proclamation of the gospel, he said, crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy to be crucified in the manner of my Lord. He had a new boldness. James, brother of Jesus, everything that we know about James, he was skeptical of Jesus I mean, wouldn't you be skeptical of your brother being the Messiah or the Christ? You say, well, what would it take for you to believe that your sibling was the Christ, the Messiah? I can assure you they would have to rise up from the dead at least, right? Okay, and so this is what happened for James. He had an encounter with the arisen Christ. And we know that he was the leader at the church of Jerusalem. And we know he died a martyr's death. We see this throughout the pages of Scripture. What do we know about Paul? Paul himself, in his own words, he said, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. What happened to Paul? He had an encounter with the risen Christ. It was undeniable for him. And so his life changed I pray that all of us can join with John Newton today and say this. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I'm not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. You need an encounter with Jesus. I need an encounter with Jesus. We need to see him as he is and know that that changes everything. We need to join those women at the empty tomb and see that the tomb is empty and run back and herald the good news that Jesus has risen from the dead. We need to join with Peter and John and rush to the tomb and see that it's empty and go out into the world and proclaim that message that Jesus is risen. We need to join with Thomas when he put his hands in the pierced hands of Jesus and in his pierced side and made this good confession, my Lord and my God. We need to join the men on the road to Emmaus and we need to allow Jesus to open the scripture, scriptures to us so that we can see the story and allow our hearts to burn within us. We need to join the Ethiopian eunuch as he was reading Isaiah 53, written hundreds of years before Jesus was born, perfectly describing the crucifixion of a Messiah. And we need to join with him and say, hey, here's water. What keeps me from being baptized? And we need to join with Onesimus, the runaway slave, who heard the gospel from the Apostle Paul and returned to his master as a free man because he had encountered the risen king. But we don't have to go back thousands of years. If you'll talk to some of the people in this room, they'll join with what Paul said in Titus chapter 3. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, 
being hated and hating one another, but when the kindness and love of our God and Savior appeared. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. There are people in this room whose lives are changed. I've heard their testimonies. I've heard some of their testimonies of how lost they were, how in despair they were, and they met Jesus and it changed everything. It's not just something that happened thousands of years ago. It's not wishful thinking. It's something you can experience today if you'll trust and believe in him. And it'll change your life more than if suddenly you started believing you were a 1480. I can promise you that. Reason number four. Reason number four, we need to take a fresh look at the gospel. And finally, the gospel gives us hope and a future. The gospel gives us hope and a future. Notice how Paul ends this chapter. Turn over chapter 15, verse 50. Chapter 15, verse 15, we'll wrap it up with this. He says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I'll tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that was written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Why do we work? Why do we gather? Because we know that there really is an afterlife. We know that even though we die, yet we shall live because Christ raised up from the dead that you, if you're in Christ, you have a hope and a future. Your death is not the end. You know why? Because there's going to be a plot twist. How many of you love a good plot twist when you're reading a book or watching a movie? You love a good plot twist. Lazarus' story is a plot twist. Believe me, folks, everybody... Everybody that was there knew a plot twist is happening. Jesus shows up. Lazarus has been dead for several days. Uh, and Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. I mean, you got to feel sorry for Lazarus. He's kept kicking up gold dust in heaven. All of a sudden, Lazarus, come forth. It's a plot twist for him. Okay, well, i got to go back down there and do something, okay? And so he comes back, plot twist. And I'm going to assure you, the people gathered around the cross that day never saw what was coming next. If they did, they would have been waiting at the tomb three days later. They saw their king crucified. And there was a a predictable plot line. A predictable plot line. There were a dozen or so other messianic pretenders in the century in which Jesus lived. They all said, hey, we're going to rise up. We're going to defeat Rome. And Rome said, okay, give it your best shot. And their stories all ended the same exact way. They rose up. Everybody thought, hey, this is a great leader. Oh, I guess not. They got crucified. Story over. And this happens over and over and over. Any of you know their names? Probably not. 
There might be some history buffs out there. Yeah, I know, I know uh, some of their names, and you might repeat them out. Probably most of you don't know any of their names because their stories ended, and nobody rose up and said that they're Christ after they died. What, what happened with Jesus? Jesus died on the cross. Story over, right? I mean, that's the plot line. That is the script, except that's the world's script. That's the story the world wants to peddle, is that Jesus died end of story. But the story that began to rise up out of the same city in which Jesus died among his followers who were once hiding in fear is that Jesus is king. He's Lord of lords. He's king of kings. No, don't you know we crucified him? Yeah, don't you know that he rose up from the dead? And so they gathered for the first time on the first day of the week and they began to worship this king, this Christ, this Messiah, this Lord, because the grave couldn't hold him. Death couldn't defeat him, and he has dominion over everything in creation. But the question is, do you believe? It's a wonderful story, but it's not a story for our entertainment. It's not a story just for us to feel some emotional feelings and feel good about it. It's a story that we're to enter into. It's a story that calls us in, that says, hey, yes, Jesus is king, and you are his ambassadors. You are to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. You are to go out as his witnesses into all the world and share the gospel. To share this story so that the world, when it's telling its story, it is countered by the true, real story that Jesus is Lord. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. I want to ask you, do you believe? It's Easter, maybe we just kind of... um, It's a thing to do to go to church on Easter. But maybe kind of like the prodigal son, there's a plot twist this morning where you thought, hey, I'm just going to come to church, but kind of like the prodigal son, I think I'll just go home. I'll just be a servant in my father's house. But he experienced the plot twist of God's love, the father's love. He was blown away as the father embraced him As the father ran to him and embraced him and said, this is my son. He was once lost and now he's alive. Now he's found. He was once dead and now he's alive. Slay the fattened calf, put a ring on his finger, put a robe on him and let's celebrate for this my son has come home. And maybe this morning you just thought you're showing up to church because it's the thing to do on Easter, but maybe this morning you've had an encounter with Christ and the spirit is speaking to your heart and drawing you, and you really have started to wonder, do I believe, have I believed? You can look at your life. You can see the impact or the lack thereof that Jesus has had. This morning, I invite you to come. Gracious Father, I pray today over every person here, I pray that as we have this time of worship and a time of response, Lord, if there's someone here who doesn't know Jesus or maybe they just want to learn more about Jesus, they'd take that step today. And they would know just as the prodigal son found a loving father, they will find a loving father in you. You sent your son because you so loved the world. And we know that your gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. I pray there be someone here today who believes. And examining their heart, they realize maybe they don't have a relationship and today they would. Only your spirit can do that. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If we could, let's stand and I want to invite you today, if you haven't trusted in Christ before, or maybe you just have questions about salvation, we invite you to respond. Okay? Maybe today you want to come and be baptized. You trust in Jesus a long time ago, but you never followed through with baptism. I want to invite you to do that. Maybe today you want to partner with this church and our mission to show the world the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus. Maybe you need to come kneel at the altar. But I pray maybe for some of you today is just kind of a first step. Kind of like the prodigal son took that step to go home. Maybe today you just kind of took a step just to show up to church. And maybe today you find that was one step of many yet to come. Please come back. Please come worship with us. We'd love to have you. But whatever the Lord is leading you to do this morning, I pray that you would respond in obedience right now. Let's sing and worship.